If you're a guest with us, let me add my welcome to that, that of others. My name's John. I'm a pastor here, and it's good to be worshiping with you. And today represents the last uh, week of an eight-week sermon series that has been taking us through the essentials of the Christian faith, kind of based on this uh, uh, Reformation era motto, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And the the essentials are those big pillars of Christian faith that unite uh, really all Christians everywhere, no matter what kind of stripe or particular denomination or Christian tradition from which we might come. In in broad strokes, these are the things that unite all Christians everywhere. And and this series was chosen very intentionally uh, in this particular season of our church life. Our denomination is going through quite a, a large conversation about human sexuality. And as we all know, that has... Uh, divided many other denominations. And at the congregational level, we want to focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. So the essentials are those things that unite the global church around the world. And we're going to continue that emphasis on unity as we enter into Lent. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper every Sunday throughout Lent. So big thanks to our elders because that's a lot of work. Uh, but I'm very grateful for that because you know, Jesus calls us to a shared table where we remember everything that he has done for us. Uh, we, we, we celebrate and have communion with him in the present and we remember the, the future to which he's promised us uh, in Christ. And, and it's that future uh, upon which we focus today in this Essentials series, the last things, the consummation of all of, all of time. So far in this series, we've covered what Christians believe about Scripture, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, humanity, salvation, and the church. And today, it's what Christians believe about the last things. So to get at that, we're going to read several passages of Scripture, and the first of those comes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So you'll you'll see the the verses on the screen here. This is Matthew 24. And um, I'll read verse 36 and a, a snippet further down in the passage. This is Jesus speaking. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now verse 42. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We're going to flip to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. The Apostle Paul writes this, Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And finally, a couple passages from the book of Revelation, uh, first chapter 20, starting at verse 11. Uh, This is the Apostle John recording a vision that the Lord gave to him. So he's kind of reporting that out at this point. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And finally, Revelations, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Christian understanding of the future, what is to come, uh, I don't know what that idea causes in you. It, It might cause a bit of trepidation, some fear and trembling, Uh, acknowledging that some of us, I just had a a very poignant conversation just this week, some of us have had really bad and hurtful experiences with Christians uh, emphasizing end times things. And we've, we've all heard the wild predictions, right? As some individual somewhere claims that they've cracked the code and have figured out the exact date of Jesus' return. You know, some guy that lives in an RV in Colorado or something like that. Um... Maybe, maybe you've heard of the, the details of the theological conversation, the, the millennium and the tribulation, and maybe you have that one really adamant Christian friend who said, look, I'm a, I'm a pre-mill, post-trib, Bible-believing Christian, and if you don't believe like I do, you're a Christian, I think. And that, that kind of stuff. There, there are many differences among Christian traditions about the details of the last things. Many differences. And in my opinion, there is plenty of bad theology to go around in this realm. Uh, That there's a lot to discuss, and it's important. And despite all of those differences, and despite all of that bad theology, there is a core set of beliefs that really unite all Christians everywhere. So we're going to look at those today. Specifically, Christians believe about the last things, that Christ will return, that there will be a general resurrection of the dead, that there will be a final judgment, and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Pretty much every believer everywhere believes this, this kind of subset of beliefs or, or base set of beliefs. So let's look at those, and we'll take them in that order, uh, because there is an order generally by which these things flow in the scripture. And the first is that Jesus will return. We read about this in Matthew 24. 
But about that day, this is Jesus speaking again, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus said this in the book of Revelation, look, I am coming soon. So the Bible teaches several things about the return of Jesus. And this is what Christians believe about Jesus' return. It, it will happen. It's not an idea just floating around out there that's interesting to kick around in a Sunday school class every once in a while. This is a biblical understanding of reality that Jesus came the first time. He said he will return and his resurrection from the dead validates everything that he said. Therefore, we take him at his word that he will return. Uh, second, we don't know when. Now look, at, look at that verse we just read. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, let alone the dude who lives in his RV in Colorado. Right? Every Christian everywhere can take this to the bank. If you ever hear someone saying, Jesus will return on this day, you can say, I do not believe you because Jesus told us that even he doesn't know. How could you know? And at the same time, we should keep watch for it will happen at a time we don't expect. Jesus made that very clear. It will happen. We don't know when. We would do well to keep watch because that day will come. The scripture also gives us some details on how Jesus will return. The the story of Jesus' ascension uh, records that happening on the Mount of Olives. And as the disciples were gathered there, still kind of looking into the sky after Jesus ascended, the book of Acts records what happened. Here it is. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Namely, Jesus will return in the same way he left, visibly and bodily. The Belgic Confession captures this quite well. We've been looking at our creeds and confessions throughout this series. Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself judge of the living and the dead. And the Bible is really clear. Jesus will return and he'll come back in a manner the same as he departed. And in in general, the New Testament understands there to be two ages of time, two eons is the actual Greek word. Uh, the, The New Testament understands the present age and the age to come. And in the present age, Jesus' first coming, when he came the first time, that was the first line of the final chapter of that present age. Thus, the Bible can say that we are now living in the last hour or the end times, that's where that comes from. It doesn't mean an hour like a 60 minute hour. It just means in the grand scheme of history, the time in which we find ourselves living right now is the last little sliver of this present age. When Jesus returns, that will begin the age to come. 
the next age. And that return is the first step of the four things that Christians believe will happen, what we believe about the future. After the return of Christ, there will be a general resurrection of the dead, teaches the Bible. Now, this is important because we don't really, you know, when do we talk about this outside of some kind of Christian education class? Christians do not believe that only people who have believed in Jesus in this life will be resurrected. Christians believe that, I wrote it as a fill in the blank if you're following along, that everyone who has ever lived will be resurrected. That that is the kind of the orthodox understanding of the Christian faith. There will be a general resurrection. Uh, Look at this, Jesus said it. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. The the Apostles' Creed gets at this understanding of resurrection too in in the last stanza that begins with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That, That line, the resurrection of the body, refers to the resurrection of everyone who has ever lived. The Belgic Confession gets at this too. Then all human creatures will appear in person before the great judge, men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from perishable to imperishable. So first the return of Christ, then the the resurrection of everyone who's died and the transformation of those who happen to be living at that time. And the next step in the four is the final judgment. We read of that in in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. More, more references to the general resurrection here, right? And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Now as we read this, I understand it has the, 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 the possibility of striking a bit of fear into your heart. Judged according to what they have done. Right, re- remember what Christians believe about salvation. If you haven't been tracking with this whole series, that was a sermon a few weeks ago. And and the way we talked about what Christians believe about salvation is talking about the tenses of salvation. Do you remember that? Past tense, present tense, and future tense. The Bible can say that we have been saved. The Bible can say that we are being saved. And the Bible can say that we will be saved. And what that's referring to is uh, theologically, justification, sanctification, and glorification. glorification. In, in justification, Jesus, when we trust Christ, 
we are declared righteous and saved from the penalty of sin and adopted into God's family. We have been saved if we trust Christ. And we're then initiated into a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. This is how we are being saved in the present. This is the process of sanctification, where in this life we grow more and more like Jesus throughout our days, or or at least we ought to be heading in that direction. And in in that realm, we are being saved from the power of sin. Our, Our patterns of sinful choice and behavior are slowly being broken and and we're becoming more like Jesus. And finally, we will be saved, the promise of this great day where we will be saved from the presence of sin. Again, this this is what is meant at a Christian funeral when we say, may he or she rest in peace. It's not may they rest in this peaceful cemetery. It's may you rest in peace from the presence and perpetual struggle with sin with which every Christian in this life grapples, right? So we have been saved. So if we trust Jesus, we have been saved, saved from the penalty of sin. Remember the illustration we used for that, kind of like the great heavenly personnel file. The idea of of, uh, what Jesus actually did on the cross for us is that he did not just erase our negative uh, debt, he contributed to our account all of his perfect righteousness. That's the banking illustration. The personnel file goes like this. We, somebody in, in the heavenly personnel office did a copy, you know, control C copy from Jesus' resume, a resume representing a perfectly validating performance record, and then came over to our resume with all of our terrible performance and sinful activity and hit control V, paste and put the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus onto our resume. I I take that to mean the books that were being opened in this passage of Revelation, that's what's recorded in, in these books. So when you hear each person was judged according to what they had done, you ought never revert to an idea of salvation based on your own works. That's not the gospel. What ought to be triggered in our heart is a tremendous thankfulness that in that book that will be opened one day is John Sherrill, but what's on the resume in the personal file is the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus. As if Jesus had lived my life perfectly for me. That's the content upon which I will be judged. Is that not amazing? I mean, this, this is incredible, incredible news. Because what Jesus did has been applied to us because God declared it to be so when we trusted Christ. That's what it means to have been saved. And it's for that reason that Christians can say that they look forward to the day of judgment because we're able to focus on that which was already highlighted in our service earlier. This is the day that all things will be made new, that all of creation will be restored. It's no longer a day of fear and trembling for us because Jesus has declared us to be righteous. Now, does that get us off the hook? Like it doesn't matter what we do in this life? Of course not, but that's a different sermon and Paul addresses that. We have not been saved to do wrong, we've been saved for a life of set-apartness, holiness, as a witness to the world. But again, that's a different thing. 
So the return of Christ, the general resurrection, the last judgment. Let me read the, the Belgic Confession on the last judgment to you. It's, it's with this theological understanding the Belgic Confession writes this. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people, but is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. We have been saved. We are being saved. This is the will be saved part. Their total redemption will be accomplished at that point. I mean, this, this idea of final judgment is not an outlying kind of thing. The Apostle Paul used it in his great conclusion of uh, the, the gospel presentation he made to all the smart people who lived in Athens and got together on the Areopagus, the, the philosophers of the day. Remember this from Acts 17? He stepped into that and, and shared the gospel in such a culturally, contextually sensitive way. It's, it's an example to all of us. And he concludes his presentation with this. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Remember, repent means to change your thinking, not just change your behavior, to change your thinking. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Clearly referring to Jesus and his resurrection. So, what do Christians believe about the future? Christ will return, the dead will be raised, the final judgment will occur, then the promised fulfillment, a new heaven and a new earth. Hear the vision again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down For these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus told us these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Hallelujah. Great promise, new heaven and a new earth, the renewal of the whole world. Um, Like much in this series, there's a lot more to talk about here. From my seat, the best theological understandings of this is not that God's going to snap his fingers and completely do away with the old and bring something completely new. The biblical imagery is of renewal, of, of this earth. He will make what is now new. 
not completely destroy what is now and, and create something brand new. But I don't, I don't want that to be a distraction. There's just good, good conversation around that. But the big point is that Jesus is making everything new. The world, you and me included. I mean, that's enough to noodle on for the rest of your life, right? What's that gonna look like? So th- those, are, those are the four big things. And, and I wanna hit one final thing as, as we as Christians talk about the last things. And I think we need to address, I feel need to address some very real spiritual issues that arise from the approach that some Christians take to last times thing. Namely, the often cited Left Behind series, right? And, and the trajectory of that kind of theological idea. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with that series, it kind of focuses on the Christian idea of a rapture and that a time comes and suddenly a bunch of people disappear from the world because the rapture has happened and some are left and, and they're left to kind of work it out. And, it, and it, the, the general sense of this is from my seat at least, is kind of a spirit of fear that we should be afraid of these last things. And like we better, we better toe the line and do the right things because I, I don't want to be left behind. Right? There, there's a spiritual reality there I think we need to discuss. Uh, it's largely based on the book of Revelation. I, I understand that kind of spirit, that feeling that sometimes emerges uh, from those ideas as being the polar opposite of that which was intended by the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation was written to Christians suffering extreme persecution. And if you read it out loud, instead of reading it and trying to dissect every image and hey, this is that and that's this and make a chart a thing and whatever. If you read it out loud, what you're left with is this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You can trust me. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Meaning, I was in the beginning and I will be in the end. Again, written to Christians being persecuted greatly. What a comforting message that would be. I was in the beginning and I will be in the end. But that wasn't the promise. Remember, Jesus didn't just promise to be in the beginning and and with us at the end. He promised to be with us every moment, every day, every step of the way until the end. And that's the point. I'm the beginning and the end, and I'm with you at every point along the journey and the in-between, no matter what you're going through. So this, this, this ought to prompt in us a great assurance of hope as a follower of Jesus. Not fear and trembling, like I might get it wrong and be left behind. That's not the point at all. The point is that Jesus is for us and that Jesus is with us. The point is that Jesus wants to include every person everywhere in his great family. And like the Apostle Paul said to those philosophers gathered in Athens, it's God's will that all people everywhere repent, change their thinking about what's going on in this world and their lives for real, and turn to him. And the ultimate promise, not just to be with us until the end, 
but that at the end we will be, be made new exactly like we were originally created to be, rescued from the presence of sin and this present struggle. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we feel so small sometimes when we think about these things and uh, we acknowledge that there's way more mystery and, and so much that we don't understand. But Jesus, we do thank you that uh, pinned to the timeline of history is your life and death and resurrection, a historical event that can never be changed. And because of that, we, we look very carefully at the words that you spoke about that which will come in the future. And we choose to trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for the great and precious promises that you have made to us. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. Thank you that we can know that we have eternal life and can look forward to that day when the struggle with sin will be no more and we will rest in peace with you. Uh, Be that today, in 10 years, whenever, we trust you. God, build our faith, increase our faith, pour out your spirit on us and help us trust you more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.